clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and on YouTube. Don't forget, you can watch the podcast on Spotify or on YouTube. You can also subscribe, rate, review if you like what you've been hearing, and we appreciate that very much. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media at Subway Sports Talk. I recently like created a Threads page because, like, I don't know why not. It was there. I clicked one button, and then Subway Sports Talk was on Threads. So if you're on Threads, knock yourself out. I haven't even threaded yet. What do you do from threads, Cody? Do you do you post? I guess you just post. You're asking the wrong guy. I don't do even th- know what threads looks like. It looks it comes- just like Twitter X. It looks exactly like it, but it's threads. Is it from Twitter? I thought it was from Instagram. It's from Instagram, but it's supposed to be the Twitter of Instagram. It's called threads, and we thread the threads on thread. So I don't, I don't know. Again, I haven't thread yet. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that Cody O'Connor is here. Cody O'Connor is going to talk hoops with us. But, Cody, I shall at least ask you this first as we uh, sit neck and neck in the Subway Sports Talk Picks competition. A little bit of a rough week for you this week, one and two. But it wasn't like you made bad beats, in my opinion. I think or you didn't make bad bets. Maybe you had some bad beats. How would you feel this week? frustrated and a little disappointed because it did feel like, and I texted you guys this, I felt like I had saw some spots to expose, you know, the lines a little bit and, and take advantage of some places and some picks that, uh, you know, I didn't love that I took the Saints Lions under afterwards because mm-hmm. I liked mm-hmm. the Lions to win the game. And I felt like uh, I went a little too safe by buying up a total there. So that was just a bad pick. Um, but if you're going to give me the, you know, the Eagles at home plus eight and a half, albeit the, the way the outcome went, um, I'm going to take that 10 times out of 10. So I, I'm not too upset with that result. It happens. They got blown out. It's not a bad beat. It was uh, just the better team won that day, and I was on the wrong side of it. So one and two isn't a killer. We got to bounce back next week, and we will. Yes, and now you and I are just separated by a half game due to the push I had earlier in the year. So you and I are – Practically, we'll say we'll say that we're tied for first right now. We are uh, what twenty four? Uh, yeah. I think I'm at twenty three wins, if I'm not mistaken. I think I'm twenty three. Yes, and sixteen. Does that make me twenty three and sixteen? And yes, and I'm twenty three, fifteen, and one. So look at us. Look at us, right. Cody. We're doing just a okay. Mark Shenlugan, another yep. winning week. Pat Boyle, another losing week for Patty B. <laughs> you know he's gonna have to come up here on Thursday, Friday podcast and uh, defend himself mm. for for the losing picks here. He said he's gonna come back with a vengeance. So we look forward to that. I was uh, for one. I'll just say this before we start talking about the Knicks. I bet on the Steelers this week. And for all the smack that I've talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers this year and how many times I've bet against them this year, I really deserved to lose that bet, betting on them to win this game. Now, granted, Kenny Pickett got hurt, but they didn't look good before he got hurt. Uh, and the Cardinals just looked like the better team all, all across the board. James Conner looked like a man amongst boys in that matchup there, but I felt fantastic about the 49ers. So I apologize that you and Pat were both on the opposite side of that. I love the Niners, and boy, did they make me look smart as they mm-hmm. ran away dominating the Philadelphia Eagles. But we'll be back with more picks on Friday, but we're here to talk about the NBA in-season tournament. The Knicks came up quite short against the Milwaukee Bucks in the second half. We're going to break that down and talk some hoops along the way. So to go through that game quickly, um, for starters, it's really difficult to win a game, Cody, when you get outshot by not five threes or ten threes, but 16 three-pointers more did the Milwaukee Bucks make than the New York Knicks. 16 threes, and yes, at halftime, with the three-point differential being quite large at the half, only being a three-point game, that did not last throughout that second half as the Knicks shot 30% from three and the Milwaukee Bucks shot 60% from three. And that was even higher at a point in the game where the game was already out of hand. They missed a couple Mm -hmm. late. So that for starters was, was just like, you know, you're not coming back from that. But other than that, to look at the game from a more holistic standpoint here, the Knicks fought pretty hard for three quarters there, but they looked like they just could not stop the bucks and they did whatever they want. The pace was large. The pace was so fast and the bucks looked like the team more able 
more willing, more ready to handle it. So what were your big takeaways from that loss for the Knicks in the in-season tournament? Well, for the Knicks, it, it, I mean, you said it. They, the Bucks shoot 60% from three. Um, it was up at like 64, 65 before a few garbage time misses from the Bucks. Um, so more close to 65% as a true three-point shooting percentage. And you're not going to win games when that's going on. I don't care if you're playing the Bucks, the Hornets, the Wizards. It doesn't matter. Team shoots 65% from three, light you up like that. Uh, it's going to be pretty damn hard to win. Um, but I'm not panicking if I'm the Knicks and thinking I can't hang with these guys. They are way out of my league. This is why we need to make some of these trades or moves that we, you know, we want to do. That wasn't my takeaway at all. 65%, but it's not like the Bucks were just wide open standing there in the corner for three. Some of them were like that, but some of them were just Dame heated up and there's nothing you can do to stop that when he gets it going. Um, Beasley had, what, 18 points tonight? You don't expect that when the Bucks have the others, as we like to call them, right? The non-star players play that big of a role. You're going to struggle. So um, the Knicks did fight. The score doesn't exactly indicate that. But the Knicks, uh, Julius Randle played a fantastic basketball game start to finish. He was the guy that the Knicks fans want to hold on to, that the Knicks fans have been clamoring and saying, this is the guy and this is the reason we love him. When he's under control like that, when he's decision-making is on point in that way, um, that he can look like the all-star that we know he can be. And that's the Julius Randle you need to see. So that was encouraging. Uh, Quentin Grimes being borderline unplayable right now I don't think any of us saw coming I don't think that is something that is going to last I do think he'll get it right um, but right now he is a guy that's not giving you much uh, offensively he's giving you nothing defensively I think sometimes when the shots aren't falling it starts to take away from your energy on the other side even if you know you don't have that um, you know you don't plan for that it's just human nature so um, I take more of this from the Bucks being a chance to to be right up there with Boston, uh, like we talked about preseason. But to this point in the season, I thought Boston has been the better team. I still think they have the slight edge. But if the Bucks are going to be firing on all cylinders like this, if Chris Middleton's going to be healthy, um, and they are going to be able to hit shots at that level, then watch out. Here come the Bucks. The one thing for them is is defensively, and the Knicks had a lot of opportunities, especially in the first half at the rim. Um, so the Bucks are going to need to shore up defensively to be able to compete with Boston and, and go to the place where they ultimately want to be. But uh, I'm not panicking if I'm the Knicks. And if I'm the Bucks. I'm thinking, hey, this is what we envisioned when we traded for Dame. That was it. Yeah, and on top of all that Bucks stuff that you talked about already, and I'll get back to the Knicks, a guy named A.J. Green, who's not a wide receiver in the NFL, but a NBA player on the Milwaukee Bucks, who I had never heard of, frankly, and like, I like to think I know a good bit about basketball and watch a lot of basketball. AJ Green was three of four from three in the first half, and it seemed like he hit those all in a few minutes. I mean, that was off the rip. It was like, who is this guy and why can't he miss? And then campaign right off the bench, two crazy floaters. He was two of three from three as well. Bochamp didn't miss from three. He mm. was two of two. Like, it was just really insane. And obviously, you mentioned Beasley, even when Giannis hit the one tough three. Yeah. It was like, oh, really? This is what we're doing now? He started chuckling after that. and it, it was just insane. So when guys like A.J. Green are hitting threes on you, it's going to be just tough no matter what. On top of that, Emmanuel quickly, one of seven from the field. He had mm -hmm. a couple good looks when the game was still kind of in hand there, and uh, that those didn't fall through. Um, you know, R.J. Barrett couldn't quite get the shot to fall today. Randall obviously did play well. Brunson didn't shoot super efficient. He couldn't hit a three. So the threes is where it's all kind of going to come down to for this game in particular. But to look at the bigger picture, I do have some notes. I really don't want to be critical of Julius Randall right now because of how well he played. But if I may, and I'm not really blaming him, it's just more of a, a, a positive critique, a place that you want him to just be a little bit better. In the first half of this game, Randall was not only making every shot he was taking, which, you know, he literally made every shot he took. He was making the right basketball play yeah. the entire first half. And I thought it was incredible. I happened to have his over points in a same game parlay that I posted on Subway Sports Talk social media, which was probably my sketchiest leg. And he hit that in the first half. So that was great. But on top of the great shooting, he was making really smart 
and sharp basketball plays. He also had, a, I think, four assists at the half as well. He was hitting cutters. He was hitting open shooters. He was making great plays. In the second half, when the game started or continued on that fast pace and the lead started slipping away from the New York Knicks, I saw that little bit of a change from Julius Randle where he went from, I am going to be aggressive making the right play to I'm going to be aggressive looking for my shot. And again, not being critical in the sense that he blew the game. Oh, what's wrong with Julius Randle? No, no, no. He was awesome. But once he started going to aggressive, I need to find my shot. It really stagnated the offense for the New York Knicks and the rest of the players and the team really lost rhythm. Some of those shots weren't falling and the lead went really, really quick out of their hands. So one thing I wish we could see from Julius Randle is the first half of him, even if he's not going to shoot a hundred percent from the field, obviously him just making the right play all the time is huge for him and huge for the team and him making his teammates better. So again, don't want to be critical of him, but I'm being a little bit critical here where in that second half, it looked like, Oh, Randall thinks he has to do this all himself because no one else has it going like him. And now he's going to try to be the hero. And we know where that led us in the second half, Cody. So was that too critical? Was that the proper amount of critique for, for Randall there? No. And, and when we were texting too, I used that exact word was that that Knicks offense got stagnant. The ball stopped moving as much. And, and Julius was just kind of trying to bully ball. And if I could play devil's advocate, you could understand tonight more so why he, right, why he was doing that. It's because even Brunson, who didn't have a terrible shooting night, but his shots outside weren't falling, right? Even some of the floaters and mid-range, and especially in that third quarter, that you like the shot attempt. They just weren't falling, and that is basketball sometimes. Sometimes they go in, sometimes they don't. To make or miss league, and when the Bucks were making, the Knicks were missing. It was poor timing, and the Bucks just kept it pouring. And from that third quarter, midway through or so, um, they really took over. But, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, that's what the Knicks offense started to become. But – and I'm not always the one to defend Julius. But tonight I could understand a little bit more why his decision-making was, I've got to do this. This has to be on my shoulders. I've had the hot hand. I'm going to keep looking for my shot. And the Bucks were ready for it. The Twin Towers with Giannis and Brooke were down there um, just kind of waiting for him. And the, the Knicks had to really – as much as I was critical of the Bucks' defense and in the first half Knicks got to the rim a lot, they second half really had to fight for seemingly every bucket that they got. And uh, that was – you know, that right there was the difference. The Bucks had a couple transition and easy buckets that opened up some of the, the outside shooting, and the Knicks just couldn't get that um, in the third quarter there. Yeah, the Knicks' transition offense was electric in the first half and kind of mm. non-existent in the second half. I think that's a, a big part to do with the Bucks continuing to make shots and not giving them the, the transition opportunities. Also, it, it, their defense, they really did kind of shore it up a little bit. A lot of those looks that were at the rim mm. in the first half were at the elbow, floaters, fadeaways from the low post area in, this, in the second half where – now you're shooting over Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis and Giannis and Chris Middleton and quickly Brunson, Barrett, Randall, Hartenstein are taking these more difficult shots. And yes, I think to put a pin in it, Randall played an A level mm-hmm. game today. Without him, my God, they lose by 60, right? Yeah. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Let me not be too critical of the man who kept us in that first half single handedly there. But there was that moment in the second half where I felt like, you know what? The, the answer is not posting up Julius Randle um, two feet inside the three-point line from the wing. It is continuing to move the ball to get quickly, to get DiVincenzo, to get Hart, to get Barrett some shots. But those shots weren't going in either. So again, like you said, don't really blame him for his decision-making even in that second half there. Um, let's talk about some of the other players around the New York Knicks here with, and, and kind of in relation to Quentin Grimes here. Dante DiVincenzo and Josh Hart. Obviously, they didn't do enough tonight to make that splashy impact, especially in the second half. They did have those moments in the first half. But my question to you is, Cody, with Hart and DiVincenzo being the more consistent players right now for the New York Knicks, playing that same position as R.J. Barrett and Quinton Grimes, do you see a universe in which the minutes truly just shift and the paradigm shifts on a rotation standpoint to Hart and DiVincenzo being the purebred mainstays in that rotation and Grimes actually falling out? Or do you think this is something that they're going to have to work through to keep Grimes afloat? Yeah, it's That's exactly what I was thinking through the game too, is 
are they really going to have to take Grimes' minutes away? And now that they're out of the in-season tournament, which for whatever side people were on, there's no denying that these games matter to these players. And if you didn't watch the Boston and Pacers game Tuesday night, uh, there's your – or I'm sorry, was that last night? Whenever it was. Um, yeah, two nights There's ago. your indica- indication for how much this stuff matters. So um, now that they're out of it and they're back in regular – regular season games I think you can work through the grime stuff and maybe have him on a shorter leash but a young guy like that that has already done so many nice things you don't want to pull him from the lineup and just take away all confidence that he may have or may not have so you could keep him on a shorter leash you can maybe you know start to bring in Josh Hart or DiVincenzo first off the bench a few minutes earlier than you typically would in your regular rotation if the Grimes struggles continue because you got to win basketball games, of course, right? In an East that they want to stay at least in that top six, and I think they will. Um, you obviously have to win games, but I do think that they can work through it. Uh, but Grimes is going to have to get it back going. He's got to, you know, just see a couple through, right? We say that a lot, and that could do a lot for a guy's confidence. Get him an easy bucket, maybe a back pick or a backdoor cut. Just let him see something through. And all of a sudden, that basket looks a little bit wider. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I was kind of giving you the alley-oop there. And, you know, if if I had the uh, the mic passing to myself there, I would have said very similarly. You don't want to take Grimes out of the rotation here. I will play devil's advocate, however, just to give some alternate perspective and a different idea of how this can work. Because the way it's currently set up and why I would say you can't take Grimes out of the rotation or the starting lineup is because one of the Knicks' biggest strengths is that bench. When quickly mm-hmm. Hart, DiVincenzo, Hartenstein, and Barrett or Randall or whoever is the other guy in the in the game right there, when they're in against the second unit for an opposing team, they can really flip the script. They can put up crooked numbers on opposing teams, and that's what is a huge strength for them. You don't want to take away from that. However, the devil's advocate role is Quentin Grimes could also be that same cog in a bench unit that grime um that Hart or DiVincenzo are so in theory they truly are interchangeable however we are a far way away from actually making that change though you can possibly argue that Grimes would benefit from playing against lesser competition and they're using him constantly to guard the best guard on opposing teams and on a night like tonight with Damian Lillard on the other side and Grimes is like all right, my job is to stop one of the most prolific scorers of my generation or our generation here. You know, it's going to be hard for him to focus on offense, right? And and maybe that's wearing on him a little bit too. Can Josh Hart handle some of that defensive burden? Can DiVincenzo handle that defensive burden? I don't know. I still think Grimes is the best option in the starting lineup, and that's why he should stay there until it really, you know, falls off completely and, and doesn't seem like it's going to be uh, reeled back in for some time. But for right now, Grimes got to stay in the starting lineup. I, I 100% agree. Yeah. So I got, I got a question for you because as I was watching, I was thinking about this. And uh, admittedly, this is one of the first Knicks games I've gotten to really watch in full. I've had a recent development with a new television where I can uh, airplay my MSG app to my small TV, which is uh, just really huge for me as the Devils are on that TV and all the MSG games I can get up over there so I can much easier tune into the Knicks now. But my question is, do you think that at the deadline, that three-point shooting, which kind of like in baseball, how you can never have too many arms, you can never have too much three-point shooting, is that the spot that you're targeting? Is it is it still more marginal moves for the Knicks rather than the, the Randall trade that we've all talked about that you've mentioned and we've talked about not really being out there? Is it a shooter or two that can really – kind of change the dynamic and, and add so much to this team because they do have some shooting, but you saw how quickly when Grimes isn't shooting it well, how much do you trust DiVincenzo Hart? Uh, quickly, I think we trust a little bit more to be able to put the ball in the hoop, but uh, is that the addition to the Knicks in the middle of the season or at the deadline? Yeah, a hundred percent. And DiVincenzo is a decent shooter. Obviously he's been shooting very well so far this year. He's over 40%. Josh Hart's the guy who's been shooting pretty well, but isn't, mm-hmm a knockdown shooter. You don't expect him to take more than two or three threes per game. So yes, shooting is 100% the thing you want to add. However, in theory, Quentin Grimes is the shooter, right? He is the guy that you need to take those shots. You want him taking five, six, seven threes a game in theory, right? Like that's something that he should and could be doing. Even with his struggles over the past two weeks, he's still at 35% on the year. 
So he's not a lost cause. But yes, to me, the big rumors that are that are going around have to do it right now with the guys in Chicago. And I yeah. want nothing to do with the guys in Chicago. I don't want DeMar DeRozan. And I don't want Zach Levine. I would actually much prefer DeMar DeRozan over Zach Levine if I had to trade for one of them. But I really don't want either of them. And, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with those two people as individuals because, you know, I like DeMar DeRozan a lot. I like him for most of his career. I think he's actually grown tremendously as a playmaker and a passer. And all Mm -hmm. this stuff is great for DeMar DeRozan. However, he doesn't fit with this team. It doesn't make sense. He's not a guy who's going to stretch the floor quickly. Randall. Barrett, not as much Barrett, but Brunson, they all operate so much out of the mid-range that you don't need to add another mid-range threat like DeMar DeRozan. Zach Levine is not the guy you need to add to this rotation, though you can say, oh, his offensive spark is so big. He needs the ball a little bit too much for me, and with the guys we have currently, it just doesn't make sense, and God forbid the Bulls wants a lot back for Zach Levine. It's not going to make sense, so that doesn't make sense. I'd much rather add another depth piece, another wing who can shoot the ball, another guy who can play some defense. I don't know who that guy is right now. Uh, I think on the higher end of the spectrum, if a Siakam truly becomes available, maybe he's somebody. But then again, you're talking about giving up a lot. Is Siakam the type of guy you're willing to give up a haul for? Talking about multiple picks. We're talking about some young guys who you really don't want to see go. That's where things get really tricky there. So I don't know who the guy is right now, but I'd I'd say yes, generally. But I'd also say that it's not a necessity. I, I have trust in Quentin Grimes that he'll get back on track. And right now, obviously, if you make a trade, you're expecting someone to go along on the app, like going away from the New York Knicks. But who's fitting in this rotation, right? Like who's coming out of this rotation that anyone's going to get meaningful minutes from right now? Like a guy like Miles McBride, someone who I think can play on a lot of teams in the NBA right now. He doesn't get any minutes, right? Like, Evan Fournier, we know he's kind of a lost cause here in New York right now. He's not getting any minutes. Jericho Mm -hmm. Sims was a very valuable piece last year. He gets no minutes, right? So I don't know what it's going to be, but who's losing minutes would be my question if you're adding to this team right now. It has to be clearly better than one of these guys, or you have to get rid of one of these guys. And who do you want to get rid of out of this bunch too? You know, Cody, like who is somebody that you'd say, yeah, I'm fine getting rid of this person to add in a marginal shooter as well. Evan Fournier. <laughs> right. But then, but say, just, let's just say, let's just say you give up a first round pick. Mm-hmm. You give up a first round pick and Evan Fournier. And I'm trying to think for the right example here of like who you would trade for in this situation. Let's just make up somebody who's not on the market. So somebody who's not even available right now, right? Like a Max Struess, somebody okay. who can shoot the ball, play some defense in that range of like very, very solid rotational player. He's not sure. on the market, but just say, right? Say you get Evan Fournier for Max Struess straight up. Who, who's Struess taking minutes from? Well, th- that's the thing. Like these guys are so similar, not only in like some of their style of play, but in their skill sets themselves, like DiVincenzo and Hart. And well, Barrett's a, a little higher end, right? He can score the ball better right. than them. But some of these guys you're talking about are so jumbled up. Like if you made a power rankings in the NBA, you might see these guys literally right next to each other in that list, wherever they may be. That's how close they are. So yeah, it is tough. And like another name from the bulls. And he's another guy who I think in a similar category, although I do think he's better than DiVincenzo and Hart, but the other name available is Alex Caruso. Oh, I love Alex. Fantastic basketball player. You would make this move most likely, but is he really going to add enough for you to say, yep, that was it. Now we're really competing with these guys. I don't know. And I I agree with you on Levine simply because the price is going to be way too high. I saw a mock that was including Quentin Grimes and two firsts. And it's like, even at that, and there was more to it. And I was like, that's too much. And I wouldn't trade Grimes for Levine straight up. Well, okay. (laughs) I wouldn't, I'm being serious. Okay. I would, but that's, that's, that's fine. The point being, you're going. The Bulls are rightfully going to ask a ton because they signed Levine to this huge deal, and that's what they think this guy is. And obviously, on any given night, he can go for thirty, and that's incredibly valuable. But you, he doesn't really fit with the Knicks. That trade isn't there. Demar Derozan, more intriguing because you'd give up less for an older player. He's a proven guy. He can go get you a bucket. But you have Julius Randle. You have Jalen Brunson, and to a Decent extent, you have R.J. Barrett, who can all do that thing as well, and they're a similar size, and it's not like DeRozan's going to start shooting threes or lightening it up out there. 
and he's not going to be a huge addition defensively. Rather, he's the opposite. So, right, I and neither is Levine, by the way. That's oh, what, that's my point. No. Uh, my, my point is this with with the Grimes for Levine straight up thing because I can understand why that sounds jarring for mm-hmm. me to just say that. But here's my reasoning for it: Zach Levine on this team adds scoring punch. You completely lose your best defender on the team, and now you're going to be playing, you know pick up basketball where you're just trying to outscore opponents and you have no defense. And Mitch Robinson is on an Island all game long trying to defend the rim. Like it just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. And then, you know, you got Brunson, uh, Brunson, Barrett, Levine, Randall, and Mitch, Mitch is a plus defender. Is there another plus defender on the, on the court? Barrett's okay. I hear you. And, and, and to me, that's the type of move that you make. If you are a championship contender, the same thing with Alex Caruso, Right, I would love to have Alex Crusoe on any team that I root for. But if you make a move for him and you give up Grimes, who's the young asset who can get better over time, same mm-hmm. with Levine, you better be ready to win. You better be ready to compete right now. And I don't think that's a good enough move to push you over any sort of edge. So in that regard, I'd much rather stand pat, much rather continue to prove the concept that this is a top five team in the Eastern Conference and, and then you know build your chops in the playoffs and see where you can go moving forward. Like no one's, No one should be getting their eyes on a championship mm-hmm. for the New York Knicks, right? Great. You can maybe have had your eyes on an in-season tournament yeah. cup, which all the non-Knicks fans would have said, oh, look at you, won a cup, whatever, right? But you're not in a championship contender spot right now. And Levine doesn't put you there. DeRozan doesn't put you there. And Caruso doesn't put you there. So to me, those trades, if you're giving up picks and giving up assets are just not worth it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. They just have to find a move that they can kind of send – people you know like a fournier and like a second and get a big enough addition really mostly three-point shooting i think is is where they could improve but they're in they're still in a good spot like i said no reason to panic after this loss to a bucks team that just absolutely shot the lights out and for the record i think the knicks played a good enough game that they would beat most teams on most nights with what they gave Right, 120 points. Yep. You got that performance from Randall. You got a good enough performance from Brunson. RJ Barrett was pretty good too. Like you had enough. It's just you walked into a buzzsaw tonight. There's no reason to overreact to that. Yeah, one thousand percent. And uh they gave up seventy five in the first half. They scored seventy two mm-hmm. in the first half. Not right shooting well them. from three. So, you know, good a lot of good stuff to to look at with the New York Knicks and nothing to be too scared of. They do get the Celtics now uh, at the end of the week here, which is their consolation prize for making the in-season tournament, getting to play the Celtics again. Congratulations, New York Knicks, which will be a tough game. Um, But yeah, Cody, any other thoughts here on the New York Knicks or on the in-season tournament at large? Because I think I have to agree with you. The in-season tournament has been super fun. I don't know what's happening right now in Lakers Suns because we're recording this podcast, Um, but the energy is palpable. It's obvious. And whether the players want to win to win the extra cash to win it for the lower end roster players who $500,000 would be a lot of money or because yep. they're just straight up competitors. I don't know what it is, but I can feel the juice and it sounds like you can too. Yeah, it, it, it does matter to these guys. And in, you know, late November, early December to see games this competitive. And to be honest, I think even out of the in-season tournament, the games have been much more competitive than it feels like it's been in years past in regular season. So uh, we're just getting better basketball in my eyes right now. And that is that was the goal of the in-season tournament. That's a great thing for you know fans like you and I who watch most nights. And for the casual people who are tuning in, maybe they're like, hey, this is a different product. So that's that's the hope. And I think the in-season tournament has absolutely brought that. Just Just tuning in on Tuesday and Friday, which is the perfect nights. There's no coincidence that they didn't compete with football. And you see the different court and you go, oh, This game has just a little bit more juice on it, right? And that was the goal, and I think it's been very successful. So let's talk about a few teams super quick, and I'll I'll bring them back to your team to make you real excited and know what shirt you're wearing right now. But first, let's talk about the Indiana Pacers. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, my God, he's been off the charts. And, you know, we've we've spoken a lot about – who are the top dogs in the NBA and who are the top 10 players and who is this guy and who is that guy? Well, Tyrese Halliburton has entered his name into that category to hear the likes of now Shea Gilgis Alexander and Anthony Edwards and Jason Tatum 
And, and these are the names truly that you are going to start saying Tyrese Halliburton's name with this Pacers team. You know, I, I actually remember I, did I bring them up in our uh, NBA storylines draft? I Maybe. think so. I think we talked I feel like about I might've maybe as an honorable mention I, or something. The thing is, I know I looked at their win total as a possibility for a future and I was like, Ooh, it just felt a little too high. And now I see why the number was, but I feel like we might've mentioned them there. Yeah. So nonetheless, I had an idea of them being frisky this year and being kind of fun. And uh, maybe that's where I mentioned them as like a play in team. Well, what are the odds in your eyes of them not just being a playing team, but being a team that can actually hang for the entirety of the season? Do you think they have what it takes to kind of make that leap? I think I put them in the magic together as exciting teams who are going to be much friskier. And right now the magic are even better than the Pacers. So what do you think about teams like the Pacers and magic right now who are uh, led by young talent and just kind of lighten this league up? Well, I have admittedly not been able to see a lot of magic, so I, I can't speak too much as to what I haven't seen. I have seen multiple Pacers games. They are, to me, even over my own thunder, I'm putting on my objective hat here, I think they are the most fun team in the league to watch right now. The way they run up and down, the way Halliburton has been just running that offense, finding guys, running the floor, it's beyond fun and that's why their their total for almost every game is like 240 250 and it hits all the time but it's it's incredible i mean I, I i think i texted you guys when they played the hawks a couple weeks back and it was like 155 to 151 oh, in regulation it was the most fun regular season game that i didn't have anything on that i can remember it was unbelievable and i believe it was an in-season tournament game so the thing with the Pacers is they can score at will, but they also don't get very many stops. And so that style where you're running up and down, it does have a negative impact defensively, and we see it there. But when you're a team that can score like that and you have that confidence and you have a top 12, 14-ish guy in Halliburton, that's kind of where he's at, I think, if we made a list right now. Um, I think that they can be a top six seed. I don't think that this is just – you know, a fart in the wind, as you'd say. I think that this is uh, something that they can sustain. And and it's a team that I think took over the spot that you and I may have both had reserved for the Atlanta Hawks. I thought, yes. and I think you thought, that the Hawks could make this leap with Quinn Snyder, that they could become a better defensive team. And they are about, I think they're 500 right around it. And it feels that way. Uh, it doesn't feel like that they can punch up and beat the Bucks, but it does feel like they're going to beat the Pistons, even though everyone beats the Pistons in November. Uh, they literally did not win a basketball game. Um, I saw it, it was like Texas Rangers wins in November one, Pistons wins in November zero, <laughs> which is just a tough look. But uh, the Pacers are at minimum really fun. They're frisky. They will be at the very worst in the um, play-in, and I think they'll at worst be hosting a play-in. I don't see them dropping below the eight. And if I had to guess without looking at anything right now, I do think that they will sneak into the top six. I think it's more likely that Orlando, just because of how young they are and how quick this is all happening, again, haven't seen a ton of them. I think it's more likely that they drop out into the 7, 8, 9, 10 range. Um, I think Indiana is actually here to stay. And it's funny because we talked about uh, when Bruce Brown got traded in the summer, and I'm like, ah, oh, I wish he went to – like a contender. I wish he went to a, a yeah. team that he would really be, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, holy crap, he's a great piece for them. They really need that guy. So um, the Pacers, if you haven't tuned in random Tuesday night, we always make that joke, but it's, it's electric to watch. They're super fun. It probably reminds some old fans of the, uh, of the Showtime Lakers. That's how much they're running. Yeah. And people who haven't watched them or don't know much about them be like, oh, what are you guys even freaking talking about right now Probably. Like, no, you gotta see this man yeah. you gotta see Halliburton cook bro it's crazy yeah. he's leading the league in assists he's averaging over 25 points per game buddy heels letting him fly he e. Smith him fly is, is Halliburton yeah Halliburton like lets him fly it's crazy yeah, it's crazy deep yeah. deep threes my gosh um they're fun and the magic are like the complete opposite where they're built on defense right mm. now they give up I think the second least points in the league uh, or maybe the third in the in the Eastern Conference, only behind the Knicks. So they're actually a similar team to the Knicks, I would say, are the Orlando Magic, where they're led by 
you know, they don't have a Brunson on their team, but they do have that big point forwardy type player in Paolo Bancaro who has yes. some similarities to Julius Randle uh, from a style standpoint where they really cook in that mid range. They get to the rim. They can step out and hit some threes. Franz Wagner's awesome. They play great defense. So magic and Pacers very different, but both very exciting. Let's flip to the Western conference super quick before we say goodbye here. And this is where you'll get to shine a little bit too. the counterparts to the Pacers and magic in the Western conference are the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Oklahoma city thunder. They do have two more proven stars in the NBA in Ant Edwards and uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, but they also sit number one and two as we sit here today in the Western conference, Cody kick us off with the thunder, man. Is this what you expect? Is what you hoped? Or has it been even more than your hopes and dreams to this point? It's more. And it's, and it's funny because I was already big on Chet. I, I know I said it on the podcast, like, look out for Chet to be rookie of the year. He's already overtaken Wemby as the odds-on favorite. Favorite, I think it was like four-ish to one. Um, but how quickly he has ascended and how well this group plays off each other, this complementary basketball with the big three being SGA, uh, Chet, and J-Dub, Jalen Williams, who was out for a little bit. Um, and not to mention, you know, some of the complimentary pieces like Josh Giddy, like uh, Isaiah Joe, who lights it up off the bench. And they just have a lot of versatility to come in off the bench. But it's so much about SGA and Chet right now. And J-Dub, right, like I said, as that third piece, the way that they work together and gel so quickly, the way that – and I said this, but I, I still can't believe how comfortable – and confident that Chet is how not not that he's just not backing down, but he's stepping up in these in these big moments in these big spots, hitting big shots. Um, they for me they're the most fun to watch, but you know that's my team. Um, so I try to be unbiased with my Pacers prediction there, my Pacers take rather. But they and and it's just it's it's beyond what I would have thought. It's quicker than it ha- I would have imagined it happening. Um, SGA continues to just impress on a night in night out basis. And right now he's at a point where, and I'm going to mention Kevin Durant twice really quickly. And here's the first one with SGA. He's at a point where only Kevin Durant got for me watching a team this closely, where every time he shoots the ball, I think it's going in every single Mm -hmm. time he pulls up and stops on a dime in the mid range and creates space just so eloquently. And he pulls up and I'm like, that's going to go in. And seemingly most of the time it does. To get to that point, I'm not saying he's Kevin Durant level of scoring right now, even though he's averaging 30 plus a game. Um, That's where he's at. And with Chet, his movement, you can't help as a Thunder fan but to draw the parallels of a tall guy who can pull up in the mid-range, who can hit from three. And you see some of the videos of the side-by-side. And it's hard not to get, parentheses, Josh, giddy about this team and the way that they've been playing because it's come together so quickly. They're well coached. Um, And right now of my four teams, they are the team I am the most proud to be a fan of between the (laughs) Mets giants. The devils have been letting me down and uh, it's the thunder who are picking me up. Who, who would have thought they have lived up to expectations, if not surpassed it because they were getting all the hype yeah, they were. leading up to this year. You had Bill Simmons making the statement that they were going to jump up to being a 50-win team where he was kind of laying out the idea of that team every so often with this type of core at this age can make this leap, and boy, are they doing it right now, and nothing about it feels fluky. Mm. I, I know you said it about the Pacers. I think there's still more of a chance the Pacers and the Magic can sl- uh, fall down to earth. The Thunder are not going anywhere. And to me, it doesn't seem like the Timberwolves are going anywhere either. And that one might be even the most shocking because I think it was reasonable to believe that they took a step forward this year just based off what Anthony Edwards has become. I mean, we all saw it. Every time you watch him play over the past year or two, you saw him become the man, right? Live in front of our eyes, he felt like he was the best player on the court, almost no matter who he was playing up against. And right now he's doing that to the nth degree. He's now at 26.6 rebounds, five assists. And the five assists for, you know, the Halliburtons of the world and the Jokic's of the world may not be much. But for Anthony Edwards, where he was a few years ago, that's a huge increase when he's not looked at to be 
the big time facilitator. They have other big time passes on the team in Mike Conley mm-hmm. and Kyle Anderson, and he's still doing all that stuff. So right now the Timberwolves play phenomenal defense with that group of Rudy Gobert, who seems like he's fully back. Nas Reed getting a lot of buzz for what he's doing off the bench there. Jaden McDaniel's a defensive freak. He was injured for a little bit, but their defense is awesome. And Anthony Edwards deserves all the credit. Maybe we didn't expect Minnesota OKC 1-2, but they were expected to be in that top six range for the West. So to them, I don't think they're going anywhere, Cody. And all these other teams, the Suns, the Kings, the Mavs, Lakers, Warriors, they are on an uphill battle right now to try to hang with the Timberwolves and the Thunder. And man, is that crazy to say. And for us as NBA heads, it's exciting to say too because we're seeing some new blood come for the crowns. Yeah, and I, I got to be honest, if I would have made any prediction on the Timberwolves, I would have said they stepped back this year. It felt like with um, Conley being a little bit older, Rudy Gobert being like a guy that I like, we know who he is, and it didn't seem like they would ascend like this. But because you have a guy like Anthony Edwards, who was so clearly in a spot to become the next superstar-ish, you know, top 10 type player in the league, um, and their defense has been awesome, and they don't feel fluky at all. OKC doesn't feel fluky at all, like you said. Um, the Nuggets are going to be right there, but are those are those the top three teams in the West? I mean, not just right now, but if you're you know looking through a microscope for the end of the year, or a crystal ball, rather, a microscope does nothing for you. But if you look through a crystal ball, um, <laughs> do you see them being the top three by the end of the year? You know what? Get in, leapfrog. I think I think they are. I think they're the top three regular season teams because I don't trust the Suns to be healthy enough to have that record. And that's not saying the Suns can't knock one of those teams out in the playoffs. I think they can. Mm-hmm. I just don't expect them to be that consistent and that healthy throughout the regular season. Like Bradley Beal already. How many games has Bradley Beal played this year? That was. Like, the, I he, was going to say. I hope you were asking it that way, right? Not how many he's missed. He's probably played like six games. He's played three games this year. My goodness, right? So he hasn't played at all this year. He's been a non-factor. They're still playing well. Of course they are. They have Devin Booker and they have Kevin Durant. And Devin Booker has taken another step forward. So again, we always joke that there's, you know, 15 top five (laughs) players in the NBA. That has never been more true than right now. All right, Devin Booker's playing point guard for the Suns and doing a great job at it. He's 28 and eight and a half assists right now like that's insane why Kevin Durant averages 31 but I think they've gotten some more um out of Eric Gordon believe it or not you know they've gotten some stuff out of Nurkic this year which has been nice so they're not bad they obviously have what it takes to hang but to to see them in the top three of the Western Conference I'd be a little bit shocked I think if anyone was going to crack the top three uh right now who's not in it I would have to say it's the Kings because the Kings are kind of proven they are young and healthy um, they have some superstars in Fox and, and Sabonis. Um, so, yeah, I think if anyone's going to crack the Timberwolves Thunder Nuggets right now, it would be the Kings on a regular season wins perspective. But on a playoff perspective, the Suns are very much in that conversation. I think the Lakers would be too. I agree. I, and uh, I, 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 I don't want to do too much, but I got to ask, where are you at with the Warriors right now? Are are you pulling out the panic meter? I, I, I know we're trying to go shorter, but I just needed to ask this question because is the panic button out? Is it in the desk? Are you hitting it? Where are you at with the Warriors? If the panic button is in one of those drawers that slides out from under my desk, the drawer is slid out mm. for sure. It, it is, and it's not – Obviously, it's not because Steph Curry. He's been off the charts. He's still been so freaking good. There's only so much that that man can do right now. But with uh, Clay Thompson just kind of not clicking on all cylinders just yet, even though his shooting numbers are fine, Wiggins hasn't been quite the same, and now you're really looking at Kaminga and Moody to do a whole lot. Draymond and Chris Paul, just not enough right now to, to help carry this team. And I mean, Draymond, man, what's he doing? What's he doing out there? He's playing the wrong sport. He's tackling fools. He's freaking figure four leg locking. Rudy Gobert is actually more of a full Nelson if, if you're being specific here. But yeah, now uh, the panic button is definitely out. And now the question is, do the Warriors make a trade? Because you don't have many more years 
of Curry and Clay and et cetera. And is Kaminga and Moody, are they ready to do anything special here? Because I think if you can, you might have to go ahead and move Kaminga, move Moody, get Siakam in here, and see if you can make one more run. Because after this year, it's not getting better. It's not getting easier for the Warriors after this year. So I, I don't know. The panic button's definitely out. I haven't smashed it yet because it's early in the year, and we've done this a lot of times where you know a team's 9-11 and 11 and you go, oh, man, they're, they're a mess right now. And then all of a sudden, you know, they win eight out of 10 and, and they're right back in the mix. So I'm not hitting the panic button yet, but I know exactly where it is on my desk. Yeah, I'm worried a little bit about them because it feels like outside of Steph, I don't know where the scoring is going to come from. And that yeah. makes me wonder, are they the team who could maybe go and grab one of the two Bulls players, depending on the price? Now, you know, like we said, you're not going to get much defense out of those guys, but the Warriors feel like a team that could benefit from having a Zach Levine, as long as it doesn't throw the chemistry too much. I wonder what you think about that because uh, they, again, it just feels like you're not sure where it's going to, Chris Paul, still nice, but he is not going to give you 20 on a given night. Clay Thompson, I don't think you can rely on the way they are 20 to 24 a night from Clay Thompson. So is it Zach Levine? Is it maybe something less like DeMar DeRozan? Is that enough? Um, I wonder, you know, where your head's at, if that's a possibility. I would say Levine actually would make some sense for them. Um, I do look more at the Raptors guys. I think it's more of a fit to have Siakam or Ananobi in, in Golden State, and they have the assets to possibly get them. Mm -hmm. But I do think Levine is the right type of move for the Warriors, right? When I said he's not the right move for the Knicks, I wouldn't even take him for Grimes straight up. It's because the Knicks don't have the idea of competing for a championship right now. Mm -hmm. They have an idea of competing – in the playoffs, but not in the NBA finals. The Warriors, until Steph Curry is not Steph Curry anymore, have the idea of competing for a championship. So if he's the type of guy who can put your offense back to a place where it needs to be, then yes, you take that swing. Because um, I just don't see Kaminga and Moody in Curry's tenure being the guys yeah. they need them to be yet. So you take that swing and then you regroup down the road. But I, I do think that makes some sort of sense for the Warriors. I'm with you. I, I wonder. I do think they'll do something because they're not just going. They're going to have to. Right. They're not just going to stay stagnant and say, yeah, you, like, you, you know that, obviously, right? So you wonder where it's going to come from and uh, who it's going to be, really, because you do think that you're going to get some type of marquee name over to Golden State, over to L.A. I think the Lakers are still in a position to make a move or two. Caruso feels like a really good fit for them. Um, oh, so they should have never got rid of him in the first place. Mm -mm. Monster. What a game changer. Alex Caruso. Yeah. Him and Reeves would just be hysterical together. It'd be amazing. <laughs> guys, guys like me and you everywhere are like, that could have been us. <laughs> White guys with podcasts just being like Caruso and free Reeves, man. Love them. Yeah. Those, those guys are scrappy. Just a lot of heart, you know? <laughs> uh, so good. Uh. All right, Cody, that's all we got. Uh, any other last thoughts? Any other waning thoughts here? You want to do a nice prediction for the Mets uh, offseason here? Anything? Shohei? Shohei Where's he it's going? It's probably Yamamoto or Bust, but you know what's funny? I saw a couple people tweet this, and it, it's if you're you know hanging on or delusional enough or, or hopeful enough, they're saying – well, Otani didn't want any leaks with any type of coverage or if he went and met with a team. So maybe the Mets are still involved, and that's why we haven't heard anything. And I'm like, that's yeah. probably not it, but gosh darn it, you just reeled me back in enough. So I think it's Yamamoto. Um, I think the Yanks end up getting Soto. I wonder if that leads to them signing him long-term. Who knows? But uh, I think the Mets continue to add names like Severino people are probably panicked when they got Severino oh my god that's the, that's not the big move they need to add probably two to three more arms Yamamoto still should be the big move and if they miss on him they'll probably pivot to Jordan Montgomery relatively quickly if you remember last year when DeGrom walked they pivoted very quickly to Verlander um, so I think that they have that as their contingency plan so um I, they're not going to be quiet. They're not going to not compete this year. Um, but I do think they are very measured in how they want to do it. I think they've been very clear that they want to build up the farm system and not trade those assets if they don't have to. And uh, that vision has not changed since the moment Steve Cohen has walked in. Whether you like it, hate it, 
or somewhere in between. That's what they said they're going to do, and that's what they've done. And so, for me, a plan is at least something. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think people got the idea with uh, Uncle Stevie that it was just going to be like, oh, we're going to bring in five marquee Mm -hmm. free agents this year. Like, no, no, no. It's still not really feasible for any team to do that, no matter how much money you have. So let's not get our hopes too high. You know, so I'm with you. Hopefully Yamamoto ends up met. That'll be exciting. And we'll see where that goes. Last thing, Cody. I know I said last thing like three (laughs) times already, but the Giants plus six and a half on Monday night? (laughs) I... My first thought is the Packers because they have looked so good the last couple weeks and they've played two primetime games and maybe that's just like a fool's, you know, gold where you're seeing them and in a standalone spot. But um, how do you bet against Tommy DeVito? We saw the numbers. Mark Shen Lugan sent it to the chat. Him and Patrick Mahomes side by side. Blind resume. I mean, touchdown to interception ratio, Pete. Tell me what's more important. I'll get Mark Stone right now to tell you nothing is. <laughs> I say it as a kind of joke because it's obviously ridiculous. Like the, the, the Packers just beat the Lions and the Chiefs back to back. And like, wow, what a job by Jordan Love. He's really flipped the script on his season. He looks amazing right now, right? But wouldn't it just be so NFL, <laughs> so Giants, so Jordan Love for the Giants to somehow win on Monday night? Wouldn't it make sense in some weird way? Like, I'm going to talk myself into it by Monday night 100%. I do not have the balls to make Giants plus six and a half one of my picks for Subway Sports Talk this week. But sitting here with my thought process of picks that I've used all season long is that you bet on the teams coming off a bad uh, a bad game and you bet against the teams that you think finally got it all figured out. And right now, you got to think the Packers got it all figured out. Can you even imagine them losing to the Giants in primetime Monday night? How could you think that's going to happen? And then, boom, Tommy DeVito, three more touchdowns. What is going on here? Bad pass interference calls in the end of the game, and the Giants somehow win at a field goal at the end of the game. And now our pick is even worse, Cody. It's classic <laughs> Giants where they can't even lose right. It's classic freaking NFL where the team you think finally made it falls right back down to earth. I'm telling you, it's possible. Well, here's a fact for you that is indisputable. The Giants have not lost a football game in three weeks. <laughs> have not lost a football game in three weeks. Do with that what you want. Oh, I love it. All right, Cody. Thank you so much as Wait, always. I got for, one last uh, thing. <laughs> oh, give me one last thing. Super quick. But the three Hughes brothers, I know nobody cares about hockey, but Jack, Luke, and Quinn are all playing together on the ice tonight. Pretty cool, all three of them. And Jack has already scored a goal, and somebody on this podcast may or may not have taken him straight up anytime goal score. And you might see a fist bump if you're watching on YouTube at maybe the 45 minute mark, something around there. <laughs> Congratulations. Are all those Hughes on the same team? Luke and Jack are both Devils, and Quinn is on the Vancouver Canucks, and all three are silly good. Wow. Good jeans. Great jeans. Great jeans. Levi's. All right. That's good stuff. Go hockey. Heck yeah. Uh, we, we love it. All right, Cody. Appreciate you very much. We'll talk to you uh, later in the week with some Subway Sports Dog picks. And uh, hopefully we'll enjoy some more in-season tournament, even though the Knicks are not in it. So if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, where you listen to podcasts, as well as hit us up on social at Subway Sports Talk, Instagram, X, TikTok, threads, whatever. Social media, man. You know where to find us. Cheers.